Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Brewers, it's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Good evening. <laughs> need a better one. I need a better one. I guess you need to work on this, man. I'm just a plagiarist. Yeah. So this is I feel from the best. This is really weak. Really weak. You got like uh, tears, tears in the chat here. <laughs> oh, you looked at the chat? <laughs> yes. I, I okay, good. Have it up. But good. since you've been since you've been maintaining it, I have I've I've left that to you. I do. I do watch it to make sure you're 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 working. You're paying attention. Yeah, I'm working for that hard-earned Blitman cash. Well, the winner of the last episode was Michael. Absolutely, with with ten points. I don't know what to do yeah. with my hand. <laughs> there you go. I mean, uh, you know, come on, Travis. You need to uh, you need to you know step it up a little bit. You know, earn some points. <laughs> Just saying. You know, <laughs> it is a competition. Oh, now you tell me. <laughs> I've been sucking on purpose. I'm supposed to be good. <laughs> now, is it a competition like, you know, whose line is it anyway, where the, the points are made up and the rules don't matter or whatever? That's exactly <laughs> how it is. <laughs> rules are made up. Points don't matter. Yeah. You know, at, at some point, you know, yeah. somebody's just picked as the winner because. <laughs> you know, we sing a song at the end. It was it was fun, you know. That's why. I've actually been. <laughs> I am so strange. I've been watching Taskmaster on Channel Four, which is British TV. I don't know if you guys are you guys watching British TV like I watch British TV. What's no, uh, my my son's uh, one of my son's shows is uh, Bluey. It's 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 Australian. It's not quite British. It's cartoon. <laughs> you know, it's good stuff. Yeah, bluey. Anyway, well, Taskmaster. Yeah, they 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 task these five people, these five celebrities, with accomplishing these tasks, and the tasks are just weird and made up. It's like I don't know. They're they make them choose, you know, randomly. You know, all right, pick you know two objects. You know, one from column A and one from column B. And it's like there's a hot dog. There's a electric toothbrush there's a you know like a floor brush there's uh you know something else 
The other column is there's toilet paper, there's a bed sheet, there's a toilet seat. And so you don't know what's going to happen. So you, you just pick one of it, one from each column. And then you're told, make a self-portrait using these two items. <laughs> one from column A to paint on column B. Pretty good. Use a, use oh. a hot dog to paint on, you know, toilet paper, a picture of yourself. And then at the end, they assign points from one to five for the person that won that task. And then they do, I don't know, three or four tasks per episode. And uh, and they determine the winner. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's British TV. And, you know, you know, uh, I can watch it and imagine I'm drinking a couple of pints of, of, of bitter and just enjoying it. So there you go. Like, Sounds pretty crazy. Fear factor. Like. No, fear factor completely. They 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 have some weird things though. But but generally, there's no. It's not as bad as that. <laughs> it's the British version of fear factor. That's a, yeah. That's the thing. British fear factor. You know, yeah. being being impolite to somebody. You know, that's right. British that's British fear factor. <laughs> you're gonna be impolite. You, you're gonna you're gonna tell them they're a wanker. <laughs> I would never be that offensive. <laughs> Ah, you won't well, to use what? You know who would never be that offensive, or who possibly would be that offensive? Our good friend John Blickman, head honcho, leader, creative genius behind Blickman Engineering, who sponsors the show, pays for the show, so you don't have to. And uh, you know, check them out on the on the web, BlickmanEngineering.com. Great folks. Everybody that works for Blickman Engineering I've ever met has been just wonderful. Just just salt of the earth people, very creative minds and very passionate about making sure that homebrewers have a great experience uh, using their equipment. So check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. You can send an email to John Blickman, actually directly to him. He reads them at feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. So check it out. All right. So today we are going uh, with more of your questions. A little q and I'm trying to, I'm trying to Kills some of the backlog, but if you have a, a more pressing question that it takes, you know, um, that may take up to a month or so to read, go ahead and send them in. We're we're we're, we're still doing fresh questions. Bruce Strong at at thebrewingnetwork.com. Send it in, and we'll we'll get to it. Toot sweet. Post haste. Post haste. All right, yeah. And Michael, you get a point for post haste. He's killing me, man. I mean, he's killing me because his points are better. He's killing me. <laughs> I'm Stan and Michael. Great to have you on. Honestly, Thanks. not that I can thank you for being on because I have to thank you for having me on. Also, <laughs> you're nailing it, man. You're killing it. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> no, I, I'm really. This is awesome. This is like the best to be able to sit here and contribute. Feel like I'm contributing. I mean, I hope I am, but. Now you're slowing things down now. I was going to read a question from Travis. All right. Minus one point. You're back to zero. Here's a, here's a, a question from a guy named Travis. Guys. Shit. Yeast colon. Is it significantly affecting my pitching rate and end product when fermentation pushes yeast into my blow-off tube? There is a measurable increase in the volume of my blow-off container. Not that I measured it, but it could be done. Water, can simple tests be done at home with specific chemicals, minerals, and a pH meter or test strips to determine key components of my tap water? 
such as residual alkalinity. Uh, I have the yeast book, but I have not read it. Jesus. Plan to order the water book, but it is not in the Brewing Network store right now. Look at this Brewing Network su- supporter. Travis, you get a point for that. Uh, <laughs> right now. If if either, and on the leaderboard, now Travis is, is in the lead. If, if either of these questions are addressed in these books, feel free to let me screw off. Tell me to screw off and read the book. Thanks. Traps. All right. Couple of things. Yeast, yes. So generally, if you if you were to take let, let's imagine you took your, your headspace volume to zero and you were to ferment a beer and you blew off everything that rose to the surface and skimmed all of that off. I do think that would potentially negatively affect the final product or there would be a difference yeah could be better could be worse i think it could be worse because and one of the things is the way that british brewers brew the the yeast rises to the top or most or, or um, traditional british brewers <laughs> yeast rises to the top they chill it it drops back down through the beer and that dropping back down through the beer is actually considered a diacetyl arrest Right, that's what that, that that physical motion of the yeast cells transitioning down through the beer. So if you were to skim all that off, you may end up with not as clean a beer as you would have had you let that that yeast be in there. Most of the time, the way that we you know set up homebrew fermentation, the size of the fermenters, the container, etc. You're not skimming all of it off. You're taking a bit of it off. And if you're taking, let's say, you know, 10% of the yeast that comes to the top, no big deal. Taking 25%, probably still no big deal. You're taking half of it, maybe there's an effect. I don't know. You take 100%, I guarantee you, you're going to taste a difference. Does that answer your question? (laughs) Well, so my... You sent in 2014? Yeah, Michael, that was literally my question in 2014. April 21st, 2014. I was going to say, because I feel like they did an episode back then, too, about somebody was talking, they were losing a ton in their blow-off. But for me, it's like, I would think that, you know, the the yeast up there, like you said, it's not going to affect the fermentation because they're not in contact with sugar. They're not really, they're kind of just up there. And maybe I would think if you're blowing off that bad, Maybe think about temperature change or or something to try to control the crop and to not yeah. go crazy. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a percent thing that Jamil is saying. But, but Michael, I wanted to be clear. Yeah, He's literally reading my question from <laughs> nine years ago, <laughs> and I'm not defending myself. I just don't want you to mistake. It's not anything. quite nine years. It's not quite nine years. Don't it's, nine years. Years. it's eight eight years and three hundred and fifty. Uh, <laughs> <so. laughs> April 21, 2014. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm always every time I blow off, I'm a little bit nervous because I want 100 percent of my yeast. That's why I have as much yeast as I pitch. Right. But yes, Jamil, you asked my question and, and I'm eternally grateful. <laughs> well, <laughs> and for that, you get a point. I I have I have <laughs> I have included this question in today's show because I actually think it's an excellent question. 
I, the thing is, you know, they say there's no stupid questions. I think actually, I think it's a, I think it's a, a great question. And I guarantee you there's probably another 100,000 homebrewers who have that exact same question. So that's why we, that's why we cover these things. I actually think it's a good question. All right, Michael, do you want to cover the water question? Do you have an answer for the water question? I guess, could you re, re-ask it? <laughs> I got so involved in Charleston and blow off and blowing and I don't, uh. okay. Yeah, we all get lost in the blowing part. Another, another, <laughs> mi- another minus one. Uh, you have the questions. That's a plus one. Come on. <laughs> that was I'll, great. I'll, yeah, I'm going to pretend we're playing golf. So I will, I will, I will, I will give him a chance to redeem himself by answering the question. Let's see. Can simple tests be done at home with specific chemicals, minerals, and a pH meter or test strips to determine the key components of my tap water, such as residual alkalinity? Absolutely. There's a uh, really cool product that I use every brew day called the Lamont Brew Lab. Yeah, there you and, go. Uh, I use that to do all my water test. And then I would actually say you can also get the pollutants from your water company. They legally have to post that stuff. I mean, they have to post the things that could make you sick. And then they also have to post their chlorine residuals. Then you can go with that Lamont and do, yeah, I think it's chloride, sulfate, total alkalinity, total hardness, calcium hardness. You can calculate magnesium, then you calculate sodium. And if you get the plus, which is what I got, comes with a handy dandy pH meter. And uh, I was I was shunned from strips long ago by Bruce Strong. Absolutely. Uh, saying by uh, John Palmer, you can't get that tenth of a pH to know you can't get in. a tenth. You can you can you can do pretty good. You can do yeah, it depends on how well your your rods and your cones are working. Well, right. I, I think you can buy narrow range test strips. So like yes. from five to six they'll sell a, a set of test strips that'll change color along from five to six, but mm-hmm. I kind of like just dipping my your probe. I dip my tip and and probe. <laughs> but yeah, it's all right there, and I would say it's it's so easy. I mean, you don't have to be a a, a lab technician to do these tests. Oh, you know. It's 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 filling up twenty five milliliters of your tap water and throwing a tablet in it, and then five drops and then count the number of drops of the other bottle until it right. if, you, if you can count to 10. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you can, you know, put liquid in containers, you know, little vials, it's pretty easy. We uh, are, they're still using it at Heretic. Uh, you know, we, I required, you know, the water be tested, you know, weekly initially, and then we switched every month because you know, it makes a makes a big difference. Um, you know, when you're when you're trying to make a super consistent product. All right, nice answer, so, Michael. I, I I will give you three points for that answer, which so, uh, that that makes it a a tie. <laughs> it is a crazy. All right, you know, yeah, so, call it tie. Look, right? that's like kissing your sister. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, sorry. We need to take I break. was thinking, I was thinking, sorry, I need to look back and see how much Palmer and Lamont both owe me for that question. <laughs> but the way Michael just sold it, they owe him more. <laughs> My buddy E. Rector has the. <laughs> e. Rector. I do remember E. Rector. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. That's our first break. We'll be back right after this. 
Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature march pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're doing your questions live here, and the, the the problem with doing the show and drinking at the same time is I need to actually like make physical check marks indicating when we took breaks and all that because that was a long first segment there. That was the first segment. Uh huh. Oh wow. Okay. So normally, yeah, normally we have a very brief question segment. Oh wow. Good John's going to be said pissed. He's going to withhold some payments. This may go. T- this may go told. This may go till nine o'clock. Let's see here. I thought that this one was interesting. All right. What's it? So, Rugenbach, Rugenbach Brewing Company. Well, that's a good question. Rugenbach. Yeah. You would for a new brewery in progress. I'll tell you, you know, just email me, just email me direct, and I will, I will answer your question separately or like Travis is saying, it's, it's it's too big a question for a Q and A show, but you know we may do a maybe we'll get you on the show and we'll do a we'll do a whole show with you. How does that sound? And we can we can discuss the whole thing. So uh, if you're still listening, yeah, reach out to me, uh, email me, and we'll see how clever you are. You can figure out what my email address is. You should have. There you go. All right. <laughs> we'll we'll. At the least, I'll I'll help you offline. Want to see you succeed? You're uh, see. Ten points right there. Ten points. I put you behind Michael and I. What is <laughs> my points are worth less? I understand. Uh, Alex Alex writes after listening to the two mashing talks numerous times, my curiosity has been piqued. The question is difficult to make short, but I'll try my best. Since beta and limit dextrinase denatures approximately 30 minutes after hitting temperatures above 148, what would happen if you held off a portion of the grains, maybe one half to one third from a 151 mash, and then added them in 20 to 30 minutes later? In theory, this would allow you to get the beta analyst to act on the mash for hopefully up to 60 minutes. I'd posted most of this question on Reddit, but kept getting steered towards, (laughs) just do this instead. 
of what yeah. could happen and the effects it would have. And he gives a Reddit link, uh, Alex. I, I feel like me as having less experience and zero schooling than Michael, I should put my bullshit out there first. Mm. You get a point for that. Right. <laughs> so on, honestly, I mean, it, I mean, beta works fast. What are you trying to double beta it for? Because he's trying to delay the beta reaction to do beta twice. I, I don't, I don't see it that way. And Michael, you had training presumably on things like that. Well, I, mean, I think he's over. I think the, from an organic chemistry point of view, like proteins, I would say there's no set time where it completely stops. You, you're moving along kind it's of a gradient. Curve. Yeah. yeah. And right. the, the, like you said, it, it works really fast. And uh, in How to Brew, written by one John Palmer, he, he has even charts of, of uh, conversion over time and, and how active and, and why 149 is the optimum temperature and kind of explains the whole thing. But I mean, if you wanted to pull off like a section of the mash to keep cool, to like preserve protein, I mean, preserve uh, enzymes. Enzymes. Yeah, they, they preserve it. Yeah, enzymes. I mean, I don't. I guess that would work, but you're kind of. It's like you're taking. You're taking them out of the fight when they could be working, like right then. You know, I, right. that's where. Well, I, 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 mean. I think he's talking about. You know, he would pull the mash aside. So it's it's almost. I I read it kind of like a decoction. Oh, he's saying a portion of the grains, not a portion of the mash. So maybe he's talking about raw grain that has not been mashed in. Yet. Right. Um, right. Yeah. That changes the liquid portion, unless you're adding more liquid when you add those in. No, really complicating which, it, right? Yeah. The liquid portion will affect the the speed at which the the enzymes are working on the on the starches and the grains, and so that will affect it too. But let's say you had a mash at, you know, 146 degrees Fahrenheit. You took half of it, set it aside and held it at that temperature. And then you raise the other portion up to, you know, 151, he's saying, or 152, let's say. And then you held that for a while and then you added in the the rest of the lower temp mash and brought it back up to 152 i think he's just asking theoretically i don't think he's trying to accomplish anything that's why he got kind of annoyed with the reddit thing when they're like don't do that just do this because you could also throw in you know more you know more the amylase you know you could you know you could uh, throw in you know whatever enzyme you wanted you can just add more in the last eight years right we have Uh, those enzymes now but that's a great point though what's happening is like michael's saying it's it's a curve and what what happens in the mash is the 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 enzymes are kind of protected it's not your mash is not one homogeneous temperature you know theoretically it would be but there's cooler spots warmer spots so part of it may have denatured sooner. It takes time to denature. Some of it is locked up inside the grain and it's, you know, so it, it's not a not a, a one and done. And really, I think that the, the optimum temperature, you know, for a mash that you want, really fermentable mash, I think is about 150 degrees. You, keep you like 150? 
I like 150. That's what we did Evil 3 at because we wanted to fully, if you go back to last week's show or two weeks ago show that we just did, <laughs> talking about the Evil 3 recipe, we went for like 150. So I think that what he's proposing actually would have an effect on the fermentability of the, and I think that's essentially he's trying to get more extraction, more fermentability. I think that that would work to some extent. I don't think it would be much. I don't think it would be worth the effort. But if you look at like decoction brewing, where they pull a portion of the mash aside, boil it, right? And then add it back to the to the rest of the mash. It's very similar in a way. You know, you're 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 breaking down starches, you're, you know, increasing the temperature, you're clearly cooking those enzymes, right? You're and, adding it back for the enzymes are still there. But even then, some of those enzymes are still active, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's a in it's, chemistry we would call it it's very dynamic. And the kinetics of the denaturization of enzymes do not happen all at once. Mm-hmm. The enzyme has to be impacted with enough activation energy to unbind itself so until it gets that much it won't do it and they don't all receive it at the same time so mm-hmm. it's a, and some of it's kind of protected in the density of the mash right and so and then you throw it back in and it's kind of the reverse of it you know that that portion that got boiled it ends up, you know, working with the the enzymes that are in the the mash that you didn't pull. And a lot of times in decoction mashing, they will pull one third and then add it back. And so two thirds is left, and mm-hmm. there's enough enzymes in there. Depends on the malt you're using, things like that. But that's a big one too. I've actually noticed with Golden Promise versus like a, a raw two row, the diastatic power can definitely be here. I mean, I, I, when I brew with Golden Promise, I would go long to try to get more fermentability versus like a two row will rip through and be completely ready to, ready to ferment in 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, those degree Lentner, like three yeah, times. The best. But, yeah. I, I remember when I was first learning homebrew, a guy named JJ Jackson at his homebrew shop, the homebrew outlet, what was it called? And uh, I was came in one day and he was he was looking through malt specs and he pointed out, he goes, look at, look at this one malt. And it's like, uh, you know, essentially, you know, the diastatic power was so high that it pretty much self-converted in just a few minutes. Wow. And so, you know, we were. That was pretty fascinating to me, you know, and. That's one of the things also about people saying, oh, I'm going to cut my, you know, my mash time down to 30 minutes and there's no need to go an hour. It's like, well, maybe. I mean, you can certainly do that, but there is a difference between an hour and eight and 30 minutes, even with something that will convert very quickly. And like Michael's saying, it's it's a it's a it, to get to, you know, it's it's almost like half lives, right? Yeah. You. You, you get a certain amount by that time, but you're not getting the full amount. If you really want to get the full amount, you really need to take it all the way out to this this amount of time. Even then, even after an hour, there's probably some unconverted starch. There's definitely unconverted starch in there. It is not a perfect application. It's not, you know, uh, 
you know, a one and done type of thing. So it's not a light switch. Yes. It's a, it's a curve and it's, it's like a exponential curve. And mm. as you go out to infinity, yeah, you get to a hundred percent, but that's infinity. <laughs> well, I, I want to give Alex some mad props for this question. That's a good question. Yeah, it's a good Again, Because there's another, no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer because it's a what if. I think, I think he, I think he's another brewer in Europe. We get a, a lot of great questions from the brewers in Europe. So I, I encourage Alex to test our theories. Yeah. And come back to us. I'd say get your COA for all your malts you're using and do one batch where you pull it, like you were saying, and do one batch without that and compare your apparent attenuations at the end. I mean, if he's still alive, it's seven and a half years. So he yeah, he could have got a, who knows? Let's see here. Somebody who made essentially a, a fake email address at hushmail.com. No. Wrote, hi guys, I like the ease and convenience of extract brewing. My beers are good, but what suggestions do you have for getting the maximum quality from extract only brewing? She think that's a really good question. I'm looking for that email. Well, for me, as a, I was taught how to all grain, so I've actually only done extracts for my starters. I wouldn't be the guy to ask, but everything I've heard from brewing classic styles is you can win medals and you can kick everybody's ass with extract. It's just oh, I did. Yeah. So, and I think that the the the, the keys are the the keys are the same. For most of it, it is, you know, fermentation is critically important. Pitching the right amount of clean yeast, being sanitary in in all your process, especially cold side. And then the temperature control of your fermentation is critical. The, the, The thing that's odd to extract brewers that, you know, especially when you start is... They will do these concentrated boils. A lot of times they, they don't do a, a full wort boil. They don't have a, a full-size pot. So for most uh, extract brewers, what I'll say is get yourself a full-size pot that you can do a full wort boil in. That makes a difference. Use the freshest ingredients you can get. I was told by a buddy of mine who I'm so old, I can't remember his name now. He worked for Brees, super nice guy, really knowledgeable uh, malt guy. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't remember his name, but he told me, he said, you know, when it comes down to it, dry malt extract actually has a much longer shelf life and will stay more stable for longer than liquid. If you can get fresh liquid, that's the way to go. But if you can't get fresh liquid, choose dry. So if you're in somewhere where it takes a long time to get ingredients, Use dry malt extract. You can use dry yeast. You can use all, you know, you know, try to get as fresh and uh, as hops as you can. And then full wort boil, rapid chilling, get it, get yourself a, a copper coil to chill your wort. And then, you know, work very sanitary once you get your wort chilled and pitch the right amount of yeast and temperature control your fermentation. And with that, you can make award winning beers. What's the one thing that's almost out of their control? The freshness of the ingredients, right? Mm. I mean, you might buy it yeah. today. You have no idea how long it's been on the shelf. Right. But you, but you said you said it. And right. and I, I was wasn't sure if you're gonna say it, but fresh and you said it many times. The the malt extract, yeah, it can sit around too long. You can get kind of inky if it's liquid, et cetera. 
And the one thing you don't have, I mean, you, you should have control of your yeast, bitch. You need to. You should have control of your sanitation. You need to. You do have control of how soon you use the ingredients you buy. You don't have control of how old they are when you buy them. So, I mean, I've never made a award-winning beer with extracts. You obviously have. You, you've made a award-winning beer with, uh, I won't go into detail of what you can make a warm beer out of. But yeah, so you need to trust your homebrew shop. Right. It's selling you quality, fresh um, ingredients. Right. Make sure you're you're working with a, a great homebrew shop. You know, support your local homebrew shops, you know, because if you're not, then they end up with stale ingredients. If yep. you if if everybody in the local area goes and buys and you know supports that shop, you know, then they they can do better things for you. And their ingredients will be fresher. You know, in my area, you know, local homebrew shop is more beer and man, they're fantastic. You know, they, they, ha- they go through so much liquid malt extract, you know, they, it, they're buying it by the truckloads, you know, it's, it's, you know, quality stuff. So, you know, that's, that's the, one of the things, but yeah, that's, that's good points. I, I, I'd also say, too, kind of one of the things I live by, and I know that there's steeping grains as part of extract brewing, is don't mill those grains until you're about to use them. Yes. Because you're on the clock the second you mill them. And so, mm-hmm. it's like coffee. You don't want to get What to are your opinions on that? What, what are your opinions? I mean, I, I live, uh, Michael, you, you had daylight when I had darkness, so I assume you're west of me. I live in Texas right now and yeah. it's humid AF here. Yeah. So what, what are your, what are your, I mean, in Jamil, you know, we went to Europe, specifically England. We had breweries that were buying pre-milled grain. Yeah. And they I'm like, starting their hops and warm everything else. Right. Yeah, right, you, right. You really don't want to do that. And especially in a place like Texas where the humidity is so high. I mean, if right. you're going to, you got to keep it sealed off. You know, yes. you can't crack a bag open, take a little bit out, and you know, you're 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 gonna end up with you know just slack malt, slack yeah. ingredients. The the humidity uses the staling rate of those ingredients. So you gotta be very temperature and humidity. And unfortunately, you know, the higher the the temperature, generally the humidity is up there too, unless you're in the desert, yep. but you know, but in a place like Texas and a place like Houston, man, that, that is you know hot and wet. Another oh, issue about that is it'll affect the weight of grains as well. So that concerns me so much. Let me tell you, the the moisture level in the grains is generally I don't know it's supposed to be around four percent, four to six percent, something like that. Yeah, you know, and measuring the moisture in the grains is very difficult on a homebrew level. So. You got to keep that stuff sealed off from yeah. from moisture as much as possible. And I was going to say, kind of from from uh, kind of my chemical. I was going to say, what do you guys think about the use of maybe a desiccant? Like, have your sealed mm-hmm. container and throw one of those, or like you know maybe take it to the it's a it's a water scavenger, right? right. And and get a desiccant that can try to, right. to minimize humidity desiccant in the container. Packs. The problem with that is you don't want to dry out your malt either. I mean, again, you could end up putting too much malt in, not enough malt in. Um, But I I, I can't tell you the number of times I've tasted someone's homebrew and I'm just like, oh, wow, these are stale ingredients. It's like, you you just, you just taste them. 
That's like, yeah, stay. That's why you were so quiet last time you visited. <laughs> well, and, and something I do, and maybe this is something I learned from you guys or, or somewhere. I'm the guy that throws a handful of malt in my mouth right before, you know, to yeah. make sure it's so crunchy. Yeah, if they're not crunchy, tastes nice. then there's definitely a problem. If, okay, they, uh, if they're soft, they're human. And you can do that even before you mill it. Like you could take the, yeah, oh, the, whole, yeah. the whole malt, just if it's crunchy or we're good. I keep all my stuff in five gallon buckets. I'm in Nevada, so I got pretty dry. Oh, it's I dry. I don't have problems with water. I have problems with dryness and other stupid stuff like that. But uh, altitude, I mean, my boiling point 10 degrees lower than sea level. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, we boil at 204. So the question is, when does Anvil come out with the moisture meter for malt? <laughs> well, I can also I think throw that out would there be more a Blickman. Uh, if you were really ah, fancy, it's John. Either way, yes. They, the, I know Inkbird makes a humidity sensor, and you could possibly use large pails and and throw the sensor in the pail and try to monitor mm-hmm. and. I mean, that would be kind of, I don't know if those, you can't really record the data and make sure you're keeping your humidity down, but I would think just a sealed container, like Jamil was saying, at least mm-hmm. you don't get the ingress of more water, like the water, the, the vapor mm-hmm. coming in constantly. Right. It's like as soon as you can airtight it, <coughs> only open it to grab what you need, put it right back. That's, that'd be my, besides a desiccant, which then you could overdo it, but. Yeah. That was a great answer about extract brewing. Yep. I think so. I think so. I think we, we are we are diving deep into these questions, which I I think is is key to this show. I think a lot of a lot of people answer questions, but not to the depth and detail that we can do yeah. uh, to truly answer a question. All right, let's do another short break. And when we come back, more of your questions right after this. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back answering your questions live. Let's see. Uh, well, here's one in the chat. Would a dehumidifier in the grain room help? Again, you want to keep the humidity kind of standard, you know. I wouldn't worry too much about it if you're not milling the grain. If they're not pre-milled, they've got a little protection on them, a little little glossiness on the outside to kind of keep them protected. So maybe I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it. If you're in a really sweaty area, then yeah, I would maybe you know you know if I was to open a brewery in 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 Houston, like you know where Travis is at, I would. Maybe, you know, want to have air conditioning somewhere where, you know, that takes a lot of the moisture out of the air, takes the temperature down, you know. Yeah, I was going to say a dehumidifier, a.k.a. air conditioner. Yeah. Just climate control. Well, that's why they call them air conditioners, because they remove the moisture out of the air. Well, it's interesting down here. You literally can have a dehumidifier that won't chill. Because it's just so humid, too much humidity. But yeah. um, and you mentioned it right before the break, Jamil. Michael, obviously, we're involved in the conversation. 
if you bought a sack of malt that was listed at 4% moisture and you brought it to 2% moisture, you would change the weight of the malt. What else might you do? What other effects on that malt would happen as you pulled half the moisture out of the malt? Or we can shelve that for some other time because it just sprang that on your boat. Real quick, right. my, in, my initial thought is your, uh, your coarse grind, fine grind, or it's that it was dry basis versus as is is going to change. Yeah. And if you're really worried about as is, which most professional breweries are, you're going to deviate from your COA and you're not going to get the beer you were planning on based on the as is. So if you're brewing with 2,000 pounds, it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, it's going to make a difference. You're brewing with 14 pounds, 12 well, pounds. I, well, you're right. It's 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 the same relative. So, if you're if you're you know one percent heavier, then you're short one percent of your your malt. So it's one percent mm-hmm. in a in a ten thousand barrel batch or in a right. you know a five gallon homebrew batch. Same but, so if you if you over dry it. Then your weight's low and you're, actually you're overshooting more malt. Right. I'm down with that. I'm 100% about overshooting. <laughs> yes. But, but is there any other ill face. effect? Well, commercially, yes. So, homebrew, I don't, I don't think people should worry about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, they should worry about it because you want to have precision in your brewing. You Validate. Want to be able to repeat the same Absolutely. Beer yeah. every, every time. But commercially, if you're using, accidentally using you know one or two percent more malt than you normally should it can it can get to be expensive not on the smaller brewery scale but you know once you get up to the regional size brewery it, it could be you know a serious amount a lot of these things you know people worry about and this is like well if you're the size of budweiser yeah then it matters you know oh my god yes yeah my, michael you, you've um i mean you've been uh, what do you call it? Clinically trained, even properly trained or improperly trained. Can I real quick? I took two brewery science classes at Davis as part of my chemical engineering elective. I got kind of my feet wet. I credit all of my most, I would say 90% of my comments today are because of the talking with my local homebrew shop, listening to Bruce Strong, reading books. I think you can go just as far down the rabbit hole as you. I guess the only thing that I have to add on that is then I understand the chemistry a little better mm-hmm. than most because it was my major mm-hmm. in college and it's my job at work. Yeah. So I can I can read the book once and kind of I wrap my head around it in, in almost you know. Right. I can I read apologize. the book and those terms don't intimidate me. <laughs> me I apologize if I stress it in the wrong way. Let me let but, me break let me break it down here for you. I think what he's saying is. Everything he knows, he learned from me. Uh, right, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. Let's, what let's, I heard. Just, let's just say that. Uh, I mean, not to be too, uh, not to get too brown on on the old nose, but literally, I, I I read the yeast book, and then I read how to brew, yeah. and then I listened to as much brewing podcast. I started off on different podcasts, and then I found this one because of my local homebrew shop hosting these guys, and uh, just instantly glommed on to the fact that they are as the kids say they spit hot fire so, so what's the uh <laughs> you get a the point final? for that you get the, 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 a point for spit hot fire yeah what's the, the, the final when was the last time you said something that nice to me travis 
<laughs> I say it, I say it not often enough. But anyway, I have a final Jeopardy question <laughs> for Michael, not for myself. You get a point for that. You get a point for that. The final Jeopardy question for Michael Spoons, and I, I claim this without Jamil endorsing me. <laughs> um, did you finish the yeast book? <laughs> So I literally got to the chapter going into lab stuff. That's a no. Well, you know what happened was I listened to a podcast by this guy, Jamil, too, and he was like, taking care of yeast and doing a yeast lab is an entirely new, like a second hobby. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother. That's a whole nother. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and and honestly, I don't have the instruments or the, 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 space to produce any kind of i mean I, as much as i'd like to buy microscopes and slants and agar and have a oh, yeah. positive pressure i might have put you yeah, too you much did. on the spot michael i might have put you too much spot and i apologize yeah. i i i have publicly finished 75 percent of the book i love the book yeah it's a very detailed read outstanding book yeah i finished 75 percent, and it was like whoa so yeah man sorry I apologize, Michael. Uh, all right, it's all good. Let's go on to the next question. I, I got yeah, thank you. the last thank you, start. Is that three quarters, two thirds or something? Three quarters? I don't know. I, uh, yeah. Matt asks, hi, guys. I'm going to start homebrewing in the coming months. <laughs> this is people asking questions before they even homebrew. So it's brew strong, baby. This was August of 2015. So uh, I'm guessing he brewed since then. Uh, I'm going to start homebrewing in the coming months. I'm getting temperature control lined up. But there's other people who are asking the same question. So it, it is still valuable that, that these questions are sent in. Getting temperature control lined up. I'll be buying a temperature controller, but the mini fridge I have will only hold a couple of three-gallon better bottles. My only other option is a full-size carboy with a swamp cooler set up in my closet. If both fermenters are identical in recipe and yeast, can I split a five-gallon batch and a five-gallon batch-sized starter and only monitor one fermenter? So what he wants to do is put two three-gallon fermenters in there in his mini fridge, put you know two and a half gallons and two and a half gallons of, of wort in there, and then take his starter and pour half and half into them. Is he going to get the same result out of both fermenters? I'd say close enough. If he's got it, well, he said, well, there's the two fives versus the three threes. Keeps the door shut. Close enough. For me, I mean, yeah. If you can, with precision, split that starter directly in half and it's well mixed and there's no pieces of yeast cake flying around and you're, you're throwing off your pitch rate, and you can get it to where you put that probe as close to the other, you know, you tape it to the side of the carboy and, you know, put that facing the other two. You're trying to, you know, and my understanding of heat transfer is that, you know, that these temperatures are, are pretty spread out evenly as long as the same reactions are occurring. I would think you could get Dang close. And you might even want to those slap on one of those sticky thermometers on the outside to like, this one's saying 72, this one's saying 72, that one's saying 72, and like kind of prove that your control scheme is working. Here's the thing. 
<laughs> I think I know where you're going. I'm if, looking if, forward to this. Well, if you're putting your your probe on one fermenter, <laughs> and then you've got your <laughs> that was not meant uh, the way you think it. Was. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, and the thing is, on a mini fridge, the chilling tends to be like the back wall only. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the way that the, the carboys are going to go in there, one's more forward towards the door where there's more heat saturation from the outside environment or temperature saturation could be cold. And the other one's further back. Chances are they could be slightly different. I, I think like you guys are saying, it's probably going to be close enough that when you, you, you just blend them back into a keg later on, it's fine you're not going to end up with a horribly different beer one way or the other. It's not going to be a big deal. You're probably just fine. But the way to do this, and I know because I've done this, is take your temperature probe. You're, you're, in order to get those two, three-gallon carboys in there or, or better bottles in there, they're going to be touching. Right where it touches, that's where you want your probe, where it's touching both of those, those carboys. So, and then yeah. if you really mm -hmm. want to do this right, you wrap them both together with, you know, some 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 insulating wrap. It doesn't have to be anything really high end or fancy. Just kind of try and get them as into one unit as possible. And then I think like, uh, Michael, you were saying, you know, if if you can get the, the yeast pitches the same, the way to do that is, you know, you can pitch it into the carboy and then transfer it, you know, split it into the two. But problem with that is then you've got an extra transfer, extra contamination concerns. I wouldn't do that. I would just try and get it the best you can. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think you really need to worry about it too much as far as the amount of yeast, you know, yeah. Shake up the, the yeast starter. Like uh, Michael was saying, shake it up, break it up as much as you can try and pour it equally, try and get the equal amount of, of, of word in there. But most importantly, importantly, put that, that probe in the middle between the two and then wrap it and, and you're good to go. And, and it'll be, it'll be so close. I mean, maybe you could tell the difference in a, in a triangle test, but it, it should be fine. And you, uh, you know, you can always just blend them back together. I don't think you'll have a problem. Yeah. My last comment and I'll be quick is in barbecue, they call it, if you're looking, you ain't cooking because when you open the thing, all the heat escapes. I would say throw them in there, do exactly what Jamil just said, but close the door and don't open it. Try to keep those that temperature right, right, constant across the entire. Yeah, fridge. that's all I got. Yeah, the, the 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 problem is the insulation on those those mini fridges is better across the back and the sides. That door, the gasket, and all that tends right. to you know yeah. a, little, a little more more temperature through, but. Eh. I don't think and, it, I don't think it matters that much. And, and for me, it's a 50-50 question because we got the question from someone who's not even brewed yet. <laughs> but but obviously you applied it to someone who is brewing and considering these things. Right. Yeah. So it's it's great to keep great to keep that in perspective. I, I think it was a good question. Yep. All right. Let's see here. No, hang on, Jamil, because our, our YouTube feed seems to have locked up. We're not on YouTube. You mean? Sorry, Facebook. Yeah, I'm refreshing to see if it comes back. 
Yeah, it's back. Sorry. It's back. Yeah, it's good on my end. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah, good of you to keep an eye on that. You get a point for that. I, I dedicate all my points to Michael, who just came in here, <laughs> willing to take it. I, I'm playing golf, so he, he, even par he, is winning. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, uh, I'm just saying he killed you on the last show. I mean, yeah, was, I'm solid with that. It's not ten, wrong. Ten to nothing. That's all I had with Sanforth, and that was it. That was ten, like, ten, ten to nothing. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, let's take another short break, and when we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're doing a live Q&A. If you have questions, please send them in to brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com. We will get to them. And we'll get to them actually fairly quick. I, we joke about these other questions, but we we had you know thousands of questions coming in. And it was hard to, to get, get them all. But now we've kind of caught up with, with uh, some, and we will get to the new questions very quickly. And we will continue to process through the old questions because not be, not because that person's still needing that answer, but the thing is, other brewers need those answers. They're good questions. You guys have sent in some amazing questions, so don't uh, don't fret. We will we'll get to all of them. All right, let's see here. Let's see here. You know, I'm I'm totally blown away with the discussion during the break and the added value that our live listeners get. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. That's the yeah. thing. Is if you listen live, you get to hear all the, the the lively banter and interesting comments that happen during the break. So if you get a chance, tune in. It's a little risky. It's a little you, go, you go to Facebook on the Brewing Network the Brewing Network page on Facebook, and you know we'll we'll post. I I post that, that we're we're going live. I'll put it on Twitter. I put it on Facebook. I put it on Instagram. I put it on Mastodon, especially. You know, and check it out. Yeah, you shouldn't be using Twitter anymore. You should be using Mastodon. And we'll we'll let you know. And then you can answer ask your questions live. And there you go. And we'll have some fun. Eric asks, say you add blueberries or any other antioxidant rich ingredient to a beer you you now are that is oxidized. Would that reduce oxidation in a beer? So you have an oxidized beer. And you added blueberries to it, which is antioxidant rich. Is it going to correct the problem with that beer? There's a song I've heard that says, too late. <laughs> too late. You say that, and, and I will, I will upfront say I have zero idea, but Brett somehow can re, 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 reverse oxidation. Yes. Yes. Can, can blueberries? Can. My- my understanding of blueberries is that they produce antioxidants which react with the hydroxyl radical. So that would prevent the chemical reaction that that hydroxyl radical would have with your beer. If that's already taken place, too late. Throwing blueberries in there, you're not going to reduce that oxidation back to the original product. So any yeast can reverse oxidation and staling of beer 
right? Wow. Uh, I think any yeast can. It, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure any yeast can. Well, I know this guy that wrote a yeast book. Yeah. The reason that I recommend <laughs> using Brett strains is because they will continue to work and to aggressively ferment even when other strains have stopped. And so that gives them a little bit more chance to reduce the oxidation that has occurred, the staling that's occurred. So I, I discovered this on my own. And then I also heard that Dr. Lewis, uh, speaking of UC Davis, Dr. Lewis said the same thing. That he's like, yeah, you know, yeast can reverse oxidation. So it's but not blueberry. Blueberries, no. Uh, <laughs> blueberries is exactly what you're saying, Michael. You get a point for that? Uh, no, he gets 10 points for that, please. All my uh, points. If I have any left, if I have uh, any points left, Mike, get all of it. That's outstanding information, really. <laughs> all right. All right. I give him three points for that. That was a good answer because it was correct. So there are antioxidants that essentially stop oxidation from happening. But once oxidation has happened, it takes a different process to reverse that. And the, the, the scavenging ability of Brett and other yeasts to reverse that is critical in, in, uh, in brewing. Have they been able, sorry to interrupt, but have they been able, I know this is getting way down, you don't have, we don't have to get into this, but I'd be curious to see if they've done any research and tried to figure out the mechanisms for how Brett or other yeast can reduce failed constituents in beer. That'd be fascinating. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I've always supposed that because the process that yeast used to use to consume sugars and, and other things, they, you know, is essentially to, or, or the, the process that most organisms use to consume something is to oxidize it. Right. right? To release so, that energy. Yeah. Right. So I'm assuming, you know, this, this, this already oxidized state is attractive to the yeast or at least when they're in starvation mode, they're like, okay, that's our best energy, you know, yeah. track. And so there, something's happening there where they're, you know, taking that, that oxidized compound in as energy. Or I have, I have a, a water treatment story real quick. I will be short. So in wastewater treatment, oxygen is the name of the game. And when they run out of O2, they'll switch to nitrates and sulfates and sulfites and like anything where oxygen is included Mm -hmm. and then it selects for the other. So maybe what you're saying is like they've run out of solubilized O2 and now this oxidized thing with this oxygen hanging off it is something they can almost use in their, their metabolism. Right. That could be really cool. So (laughs) the reason I know it, it, it absolutely works is and actually i knew this before this for some reason i don't know what what part it was where i figured this out but uh at heretic we were making a beer called worry which was a chardonnay barrel aged 
Belgian blonde or triple. Outstanding beer. And it was always very, just very light in color. And we had these, these barrels and then we would add Brett to it. And we had, there was, you know, a hundred, you know, wine barrels. And one day I was going through all these barrels, tasting them to seeing if they're ready to package. And there were four barrels that were, came out brown, dark, dark brown, looked like a brown ale. And I'm like, hey, somebody missed adding the Brett to these barrels. And my guys were like, all right, we'll dump them. I'm like, no, no, don't dump them. I said, just throw the bread in them now. They're like, well, that's not going to do anything. I was like, yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll clean them up. They're like, no, no, no. You're, you're wrong. I said, try it and let's see. Added the bread in there and a month or two later, pulled samples from those barrels and just as brilliant and clean and non-stale as the rest of them. Wow. So it in fact works. And it was after that, that I heard the, the Dr. Lewis story. So it does work. I don't know exactly the me- mechanism why, but it doesn't, does indeed work. Somebody so, out there do the research. <laughs> Somebody probably already has. And we're, uh, you know, we there's probably a, a paper from, you know, 1960 something that explains how it all works. Yeah. Send um, it to uh, the brewing network. <laughs> Just email it. There you go. All right. Another great show. Thank you. Thank you, you guys, uh, for, uh, you know, providing such great in-depth uh, commentary on the questions. I think uh, people get, we get a recap on the score. Recap <laughs> on the score is. Uh, I got tra- zero. I got Travis, zero. Travis is one. Travis is one. Uh, one point. One point. One you know, you can't win them all. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think I won. I think I have one point. And you got like uh, the other 99. I'm pretty I sure. think he gave you a W-O-N. You won. No, no, no. I think he said one point. Tomato, potato. There you go. (laughs) All right. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for supporting the Brewing Network. Thanks for supporting Brew Strong and listening. We really appreciate it. You you guys are are really fantastic uh, listeners and and fans and and supporters of, of what we do. And the only reason we do it is to help uh, everybody, you know, brew better beer. I, we think it's uh, that in the community, you know, we enjoy hanging out with all of you. If you get a chance, please send an email to feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. You know, send it from multiple accounts, you know, just, just, just fake that, uh, you know, set up a few Hotmail accounts. A what few, is that, Hushmail? Yeah, Hushmail. A couple of Hushmails. A uh, couple, a couple of those other things, and just you know, uh, you know, have Chat GPT, uh, you know, write those emails for you. You know, <laughs> and it's like pretend like I'm a guy writing an email from you know in support of, and you know, send all those to feedback at BlakemanEngineering.com to make sure that he keeps supporting the show and that you keep getting to listen to it for free. We're we're glad to answer your questions anytime. Send them in to brewstrong at thebrewingnetwork.com and we'll get to those anytime. We, we, we'll, we'll get to them quick. Until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong. Brew strong. Brew strong.